Uh, did you hear? Oh, bitch. Did you hear? Welcome to Did You Hear? Did You Hear? Mm -hmm. I'm Steph. <laughs> and I'm Angelica. And we're coming to you live. No, not live, but. Not live. <laughs> we're coming to you from Zoom. From Zoom. Social dis or physical distancing. Still yes, social. we are social distancing. Um, and because we are in the middle of a pandemic. The pandemic 2020. What else could go wrong this year? What else? Oh my. It's something I feel like every day there's a new a new thing every day. Every day. But um, you know, we're keeping the positivity. We're keeping we're staying positive. Yeah, that's all we can do. We have to stay positive and mm -hmm. try to do things that make us happy. Yes. Angelica, what's something that makes you happy? <laughs> <laughs> Um, man, doing my power walks makes me happy. So going through, even though it's only around my neighborhood, but uh -huh. you know, yeah, endorphins up. Absolutely happy. Also, watching Ninety Day Fiance makes me happy. <laughs> I have the same things that make me happy <laughs> for sure. Walks slash runs and Ninety Day Fiance. Yeah. And it's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. Should I get an international fiance? Should I go on one of those sites? You know what? I just saw because I still I'm I get casting network emails all the time. Mm -hmm. And there's some that are casting people for online dating. Mm. Never met in person. So mm. now is the time, Steph. Get on it. You know, maybe I should. Maybe I should. I just I mean, obviously it's not real, but I also could not trust somebody that I had never met. Yeah, I don't think I could either. But it's because you never know. You could be getting catfished. You could it's be like, getting catfished. You could it's be like getting Yolanda. I think she's. Oh, that comes on tonight. It's tonight. I know. It's tonight. Yeah. <laughs> just forgot. So um, yeah, new 90 Day Fiance. Um, mm -hmm. But that, or I just think about Rodney. Alcala, the dating game killer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who, very charming over voice and this and that. And then the woman he won the date with was like, oh, he's a major. His energy is really weird. Yeah. I'm not going on a date with him. And there's just something different when you're in person with somebody. Did you do photography in high school? No, I didn't do it in high school. But in college, I um, did art direction. And so I would always... Um, rent out because we had a we had a uh, studio where you could rent out equipment and everything and yeah. I was always renting out the uh, cameras and going and taking pictures and stuff what type of photo shoots did you did you set up I did a bunch for well it was a lot of it was for my ads so yeah. it was like either people or scenery or you know mm -hmm. it really depended on what it was for that specific campaign but yeah yeah um, so I did photography, uh, in high school and just to kind of give you more of an image when I was in high school, I had platinum blonde hair cause I bleached it and I would wear really bright colors constantly. And I always, there was probably a solid two years. I wore a candy necklace 
Oh my God. I never ate it, but wore it every day. So that's who I was. Um, so if you had to guess what type of photo shoots I did though, what do you think they would be? <laughs> and then I'll tell you what they were. Oh my gosh. Um, it was probably you in the woods. The woods are a really good thing. So yes. So the photo shoots I did, so I would, um, I did really morbid photo shoots. So oh my gosh. <laughs> lots of time in the cemetery. I had this one. So I, I did two kind of disturbing ones and it was probably really weird for my photography teacher. Like this, like platinum blonde girl wearing candy necklaces and like all these things. And I would turn in photos. One shoot I did, um, everything was in black and white because we developed it ourselves. And, uh -huh. um, I did this series with my sister as my model. Uh-huh. I covered her in Hershey's syrup because I was like, it's going to look like blood. And then I put her in the trunk of our car. Oh, my gosh. And I had these, all these photos of her, like, escaping from the car and, like, looking <laughs> back. So that was one whole thing. And then the other is I went, took her to the cemetery and I did weird things with the tombstones, but when I had her lie on a grave and wrap her arms around a tombstone like this, so you just saw her arms <laughs> coming over it. Uh-huh. Um, gosh, she was such, she was so game. It was really nice because I did it so that you couldn't see the name on the tombstone. So that means she was lying on like where the person. Oh, arms. Right. It's just like, yeah. that's actually my favorite photo of these arms wrapped around. We need to see these photos. You know, we need I know. To I have them. them. I will, I will dig them out. I have them in one of my folders here, so I will get them. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the stuff so I turned in. And my, I think, I think at one point he was like, interesting, interesting. I'm like, Ooh. and then another, I had my, I had like all these cute, like Barbies and toys. And I had, I took a frying pan and I had all the Barbies barbecuing like another toy oh my gosh on the front hand on brand on brand on brand, <laughs> on brand. <laughs> so so funny what I weird photo shoot are you gonna do now <laughs> when you get your camera i don't know i don't know yet i need to plan a photo shoot because maybe you'll be in it let's go let's from go six feet apart because i'm gonna get a good lens it'll be awesome yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so fun. I used to, I, when Panchito was, my youngest brother was little, I used to dress him up in all these crazy outfits and do like photo shoots. Love with it. Him. <laughs> with, with, I would put ba different backdrops with like sheets and all this yeah. random stuff. It was so much fun. I need so to find good. those photos. <laughs> Love a good photo shoot. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Wow. So what you got for me, girl? Wow. Angelica. Did you yeah. hear about the Roswell UFO incident? <gasps> I did. You did. I'm sure you yes. know a lot about it because you've been there, right? Yes, I have. But I don't remember. So okay. refresh my memory because I probably, I mean, I, it, was, it was in high school, I think, the last time I was there. So.
So in uh, this, everything took place in 1947, the original incident. So, um, so on June 14th, 1947, a man named William Brazell, he was a foreman who worked on the J.B. Foster Ranch in New Mexico. He found debris of a crash 30 miles from north of Roswell. And he okay. saw, and he, was, he just saw this debris, didn't think too much of it, left it. And then um, he left, and then he returned on July 4th, mm-hmm. 1947. So a few weeks passed with his wife, his son, and daughter to gather up the material, which he described as um, that it was a large area of bright wreckage made up of rubber strips, tin foil. A, and a rather tough paper and sticks. Hmm. Okay. That's what he said it was. Um, and so they gathered it all up on July 4th. And then on July 5th, this man, Brazil, he heard reports of flying discs. So at this time, there were reports of flying discs in the air. People were like, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then on July 7th, Brazil, he met with, local sheriff, Sheriff Wilcox, and told him that he may have found one of these flying discs okay. that have crashed. And um, it should be noted that Roswell, New Mexico, has an Army Air Force base. And so then Sheriff Wilcox, he called RAF, which is the Roswell Army Air Force Base, <laughs> the Roswell Army Air Force, <laughs> RAF. Um, so he called um, RAF Major Jesse Marcel, mm-hmm. and uh, then that there's a report of a crash of an unidentified flying disc object. And so then Major Marcel then brought a few other people with him to the crash site, including Lieutenant Colonel Sheridan Corbett and Master Sergeant Bill Rickett, to the ranch to expect the crash. And so that was on July 8th that they, they went and then they issued a press release saying that they did, they found wreckage of a flying disc, this and that, you know, in the airport. And they also, at that time, they called the FBI and let them know that they thought they found something that resembled a weather balloon that had crashed on this ranch. So, okay. um, then they sent the FBI kind of stepped in and they had the wreckage that was collected mm-hmm. at the foster ranch brought to a base in Texas. And at the base in Texas, they actually held a press conference for journalists and they had the wreckage displayed and, um, they said that what it was was a weather balloon that had crashed, this and that. And um, supposedly, though, the true purpose was that they were, that the government was doing nuclear test monitoring mm-hmm. and wanted to tell the public it was a weather balloon so that they didn't freak out about oh. the nuclear tests that were happening yeah. in the desert. Um, and uh, so according to historian Robert Goldberg, that their plan worked, this press conference worked, and that the story pretty much died the next day. Okay. So it happened, 
they're like, we found a crash. And then it just died for years until the late 1970s when it started to gain more interest. So Mm. starting in 1978 through 1990 is when this, there was an explosion of So nobody really kicked, like, they just were just like, okay, that happened during the Mm -hmm. time. Yeah, during the time, they were just, it wasn't that big of a deal. They were like, okay, weather balloon crashed. Cool. No bigs. People at the time weren't saying it was aliens or anything like that. It was just... They just... They just... Let it go. Yeah, let it go. Mm -hmm. Well, supposedly. Yeah. (laughs) Because um, the people that I'm going to start talking about claim to have interviewed tons and tons of people who say differently, so... But there was no real, there was no terror of it in the newspapers at the time or anything like that. Um, So in 1978, there's this uh, nuclear physicist, his name was Stanton Friedman. Mm -hmm. And he interviewed um, Major Jesse Marcel, who accompanied the crash wreckage from the ranch Mm-hmm. in New Mexico to the base in Texas okay. and um, where the press press conference was held. And so he, so this, this guy, he started doing more digging and finding out different info and he contributed research to a book that was written in 1980 by um, Charles Berlitz and William Moore. So they wrote this book called The Roswell Incident. And again, a lot of research was made by Stanton Friedman. And so, um, and these two guys, they had previously written a book uh, that was very popular about the Bermuda Triangle. So they're they're really active in conspiracy theories. And so according to historians that their book is the version, the first version of the Roswell myth. So they claim in the book that what actually happened on June 14th or June 13th, when the crash happened Mm -hmm. during the evening, um, that there was an alien ship that was flying over New Mexico and it was, it was observing us, um, nuclear weapons activity, all the tests that were happening Mm-hmm. And then it crashed after being struck by lightning because it was a storm that night was very stormy. And supposedly in this crash, all the aliens on board were killed. And, um, and they say they know this because they claim to have interviewed 90 witnesses. And it goes back to that Stuart Friedman guy who had interviewed major Jesse Marcel. So yeah. they do have people that had seen it up close and they claim that the material they found, rather than being made of paper and everything else, was a material that actually had super strength. Like, it was okay. super strong material. <laughs> um, so they supposedly interviewed 90 witnesses. And then the, they also claimed that there were at least two accounts of witness intimidation by the FBI, by the government. And then this book also includes... Uh, a secondhand story of a civil engineer named Barney Barnett, which mm-hmm. I just realized that's a weird name. And um, so, <laughs> yeah, Barney <laughs> Barnett and a group of archaeolog- 
archaeology students um, who are not named and the school they went to is not named, but supposedly oh, they fair. found alien bodies in the desert. Okay. During, after the crash, shortly after. So um, this book was pretty popular and until the late 1980s, it was the dominant narrative of the Roswell crash. And it made a lot of money. So people started to want to cash in on it. And then um, in 1991, there was another book written called UFO Crash at Roswell, written by Kevin Randall and Donald Schmidt. Mm -hmm. And so then they brought in a hundred new witnesses or they say they interviewed. And in both of these books, they don't have accounts of all of the people that That's they what I was going to ask you. Like, do they have, it's not doc. No, it's not documented. They just say it. So That's not very, I don't know. <laughs> it's definitely not ground <laughs> rooted in much truth. Let's just say that. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, but then in this book, they claim that um, on the ranch there at the crash site, there was like a giant gorge that was 400 to 500 feet uh -huh. in the earth. So from when the UFO like crashed and they also, these two guys that wrote the book claimed that they were turned away by armed um, military police at the ranch saying that they couldn't go to the area, mm. but it's also, it's all um, unsubstantiated. So are there then, any photos of, of the crash or like anything like that? There's photos of the, um, there are photos of the wreckage of what it looks like. And to me, honestly, it just looks like a weather balloon. It looks like, like exactly what they say. Uh -huh. um, here, let me pull up. Like you can tell like that was kind of looks like. Oh, yeah. Okay. It, it looks like a kite. Yeah, it looks like a kite. Like it, it looks like what they say. It, yeah. So. Um, so, but then this book was super popular, made a ton of money, and then a bunch of other books came out about Roswell in the early 1990s, like just people trying to cash in on it with Gosh. lots of different claims. And also, um, there's an Unsolved Mysteries connection. In 1989, this guy named Glenn Dennis called the Unsolved Mysteries hotline and said that he was at alien autopsies at the Roswell Army Air Force Base and had seen the bodies. Oh. So, you know. Um, take it what it means. I don't know. And then, okay, so all these different stories were coming out and a lot of the books, they counteracted each other. They didn't all have the same narrative about what happened. It was kind of all over the place. So then in 1994, two of the most popular UFO groups, the Center for UFO Studies and the Mutual UFO Network. Yeah. They both disagreed on what was the true story behind Roswell. So okay. they decided to, they started holding conferences to see if they could come to a conclusion on what the true story was and resolve their differences. However, they never were able to. <laughs> so they... So one of them thought it was and one of them thought it wasn't, like alien. 
No, they both thought it was an alien crash, but they both disagreed on the specifics. Oh, okay. Because these, the two books they mentioned were the two most popular about it, but even oh, they, okay. they don't line up. And with the facts. With, yeah, the facts. Like, one's like, oh, there's a giant gorge, and the facts. <laughs> um, and they have all these different witnesses' accounts, and it's just, there's no concrete, there's no, like, one story, because it's a conspiracy theory, not an alien crash. <laughs> um, and then, you know, with the Freedom of Information Act, a bunch of federal documents were released, which is why we know that yes, it was kind of a weather balloon, but it was also, they were monitoring nuclear testing that was happening. And that's, I believe it's called Project Mogul is what was going down. Okay. So, and that's really it about the Roswell crash. I didn't, oh, one other fun fact though, the TV show Roswell yeah, based off of the book the 1991 book, UFO Crash at Roswell. So that oh, show is based that. off of that book. I never watched that show, but I, I knew people that did. <laughs> I know it's a very popular show. I yeah. didn't watch it, but, you know, a lot of the conspiracy theories are as well that there were aliens that survived the crash and that the government took them to Area 51 mm-hmm. and testing on them and all these things. And we do know that Area 51 is a real government base where they do government testing. We don't know what type. Um, However, that's that. I mean, it's interesting to me that, because I didn't know too much about the Roswell crash, but I think the most interesting part is that this happened in the 40s. And there was no real interest in it until the 1980s. Yeah, that's a little weird. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it could be, it was just not, pub- like, there was interest, but it just wasn't really right published and, it, you know, with all the... That's true. And even when this stuff started happening, like, it was still pretty on the fringe uh, of society in the, the 1980s until mm-hmm. the 1990s is when it really became more to the forefront. And there's a lot of you know, historical studies of watching like fringe groups then starting to have an impact on the modern world. But it's interesting. I mean, I absolutely believe that there are other, there's other life in the world. Yeah. I think there is too. There has to be. It's like we can't be uh, yeah. a planet that has yeah. life. I mean, that's, but I don't know that it, that life has visited our planet. Yeah. I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's, that's really it. That's all I have. What was your, um, Roswell experience like? Yeah, that's what I was going to, you've never been, right? I've never been, no. Okay. It was, <laughs> it's so crazy. It's like the whole theme of that city is aliens. Like the lampposts have alien faces on them. Amazing. Local Walmart has, I need to find the pictures because I took pictures. The local Walmart has murals of aliens all over. <laughs> yeah, I love it's, that. It's, it's amazing. They have, we went to a little museum there and they had, but like, I don't remember the specifics. I remember seeing a bunch of photos mm-hmm. of 
supposed UFOs and they had like right. a, an alien autopsy, how it went and <laughs> like, you know, mock little displays. Yeah. But, um, I don't know. <laughs> that sounds great. I mean, that's right up my alley. I'm here for the kitsch. I yeah. want to go to that museum. That sounds so fun. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's just interesting too, because with the books, they claim to have interviewed all these people. However, other people have dug in and a lot of the witnesses are people that are the witnesses in quotes. Yeah. People that are just recounting stories that they've heard from somebody else. Well, like I heard oh, that's not a witness. An alien. <laughs> right. But they're counting it. Um, so yeah, so that's a little bit about Roswell and I'm sure there's a lot more info and you could probably get a real conspiracy theory about it, but do I think the government's hiding stuff? Yes. And yes. I don't, I don't know. I just feel like, we, if there, if we had been visited by aliens, more people would know. Yeah, I agree. Although I think, I think we might've seen some alien, um, space crafts in Arizona when we were in the backyard. (laughs) I have photo, I have footage actually. I need to find that. Oh, you need to find that footage. Yeah. Footage. I'm going to write it down. Show us. It was just, I, I don't know if it was an alien, but it was really weird looking. Like it wasn't, it didn't look like a normal plane and it was in the middle of the night. What well, was yeah. in the middle? It was just like late at night. Well, um, it's definitely probably some sort of, it's definitely an unidentified flying object. And yeah. I mean, the stuff our government and other governments do is probably way more terrifying than an alien visiting us. Right. Yeah. Like, I do love Independence Day, though. That's a great. Oh, that was theme. a good one. Mm-hmm. Oh, I should watch that again. Put it Add it to my to my list of movies. Add it to your to watch list. We're um, Ben and I were talking about watching Mars Attack again. I <laughs> love Mars Attack. I love it. I haven't seen it in years. Though. Oh my god, that is one of the best movies ever. Mars Attacks is phenomenal. Yeah. Oh my god. That's if I if I I feel like if I had to say what movie is like your aesthetic, Mars Attack. I'm like, watch Mars Attacks and you'll know what I like in terms of my aesthetic. That whole movie is just so funny. It had a big influence on me. I think it came out when I was like eight or nine. Loved it. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. I will, uh, yeah, I want to watch it. Again. That being said, if you have had encounters with alien life forms, please, please. Yeah, let us know. because I want to talk about it. I want to hear. I want to hear it too. I'm serious. Again, also, like, Angelica, if you told me you were visited by aliens, I would believe you. <laughs> I would. I would. I wish. I, I wish I had an in- interesting story like that. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> right? I have to leave it. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny. Well, thank you for sharing. You're we'll welcome. have to go to Roswell sometime together. Yes. And, a uh, road trip. Yeah, road trip. So all this pandemic stuff is over. I know. 
but it's all, everywhere. The, maybe the aliens brought the disease to China. They may have. I was going to do a conspiracy theory about coronavirus, but I think it's too close. And my mom believes in one of them. So. Oh, oh. <laughs> really? She told you this last time we talked to her or what? Yeah. Yeah. She also watches a lot of Fox News. So. <laughs> this morning I did talk to my mom for Easter and she was like, I was watching Fox News. I know you, you probably don't watch it. And I was like, you're right, I, I don't. And she's like, well, the Reverend Billy Graham's son was on. And I was like, okay, moving on. Okay. Moving on. We're good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll do that. I'll, I, I will definitely cover that conspiracy theory at a different. A little, no, at a later time. It's not so close. TBD. Yeah. TBD. All right, so did you hear about the Easter Sunday massacre? No. Girl, okay. let me tell you. Tell me, tell right. me. So this is, I mean, it's going on theme for Easter. Um, it's kind of a little similar to, remember the uh, Christmas one that I told you about? Mm -hmm. That massacre? Okay, so it's kind of like this a little bit. But, well, let me tell you. Let me tell okay, you. Tell, tell me. Okay. All ears. So it was in the year 1975, Easter Sunday was happening like every other year. Kids were hunting for Easter eggs. They went to the, they went to church. The family got together, got some food cooking, but this year would be real different. Be crazy. All right. So I'm going to start with the person in charge of this massacre, um, Q and James Urban Rupert. So I'm going to talk to a little bit about him and then okay. we'll go into what happened. Yeah. Okay. So he was born on March 29th, 1934, and his early life was troubled. Surprise, surprise. I feel like. I mean, who amongst us, but. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but all these killers and people that go crazy, a lot of them don't, do not have very good childhoods. Yes. No. We know. Can you get hit on uh, that? Huh? Did he get hit on the head? I don't think so. But his mom did call him a mistake. Mm. She wanted a daughter. So she constantly told him that. Um, his dad was very abusive. Mm. Had a very quick temper and little time for his, for, or affection for his two sons. He died in 1947. So James was 12 and his brother Leonard Jr. was 14. And at that time, Leonard Jr. became the head of the family because he was the next in line, right. the oldest. And James did not like that because his brother was really mean to him. He picked on him constantly, was always like belittling him and everything. So it was just not a good. Bad times. Yeah, bad times. Also, James did poorly in school. He had few friends. Uh, he was always smaller than his brother. It said, like, as an adult, I read conflicting things, but anyway, not a big deal. But he, he was either 5'5 five, five or 5'6 five, as an adult <laughs> and weighed 135 pounds, apparently. <laughs> little. Yeah, he was little. So um, that kind of affected him as well. Yeah. So... At 16, James was so unhappy at home that he attempted suicide by hanging himself mm -hmm. with a sheet. 
Mm. He failed and resigned himself to an unremarkable life. He just, he, <laughs> that's, I read that somewhere. I was like, okay, that's really mean, but okay. <laughs> Feel that unremarkable. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, so again, I always forget disclaimer. This is sensitive material. And okay. if you are not ready to hear it or prepared, please do not listen. <laughs> Don't listen to Jaws. Plug your ears. <laughs> listen to Stephanie's and then you can skip mine if you're very sensitive. If you're squeamish. Um, okay. So anyway, so growing up, he, he was an adult. He um, always resented his brother. He flunked out of college after two years. And then, but Leonard, his brother, earned a degree in electrical engineering. He was really good at sports. And get this, he married James's ex-girlfriend and had eight kids with her. <laughs> so you can imagine he's, he's real upset about, about his brother. Yeah, it's so weird. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. Um, so at age 41, James was unemployed and living with his mother. And on top of that, he owed his, uh, his mom. No, no, no. Yeah. His mom. Yeah. His mom and his brother, a bunch of money because he had borrowed a lot of money. Um, after he had, he had stocks in the, in the, wait, wait, hold on. Losing what, oh, what little he had in the stock market crash of 1973 uh-huh. to 1974. So there was a stock market crash and he lost all the, all the money that he invested into that. Right. So Charity was, so Charity is his mom. She was very frustrated with his inability to keep a job and his constant drinking. And she threatened to evict him. And the threat seems to have been what finally sent James over the edge. So yeah. she's like, you cannot be doing this if you are going, because apparently he went out to drink every single night. Mm. Kind of like how pandemic, <laughs> that's what we're doing indoors. <laughs> pandemic indoors. But he's like Homer simpson in it. He's going yeah. to the host tavern every, yeah. every night. Yeah. He's going every night. So she's like, you have money to pay for these drinks. Right. And you don't have money to pay me for rent. And you're hey, so rent. Right. So I'd be upset too. Okay. Okay. So a month before the massacre, James inquired about silencers for his weapons while purchasing ammunition. So he owned several guns, but he, anyway, he just started like getting more interested into it. I feel like if you were asking about silencer, that should be like a a flag. (laughs) Red flag. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he was battling a deep depression and then it was on March 29th, 1975, which was his 41st birthday that witnesses saw him engaging, engaging in target practice, shooting tin cans with his 0.357 Magnum along with the banks of the great Miami river in Hamilton. So. The night before the murders, James went out as he did nearly every night at the 19th Hole Cocktail Lounge. He talked with employee Wanda Bishop. Sorry, that sounds kind of fun. I know. (laughs) 
Can we go? The 19th, the 19th hole cocktail lounge. That's where I'm going when pandemic is done. Yeah, we're Straight. going. We are going. Um, he, yeah, he talked to an employee. Her name was Wanda Bishop, a 28-year-old mother of five. She would later state that Whoa. James... Sorry, what? you're on a roll, but 28-year-old mother of five? I know. <laughs> what? Okay, sorry. So she, she must have had him, like, I guess she could have had him at 21 or something and just, like, every just year. Every... Damn. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna... That's a lot of kids. She would later say that James told her he was frustrated with his mother's demands on him in his impending eviction and that he needed to solve the problem. Solve the problem. Um, According to Bishop, Rupert stated that his mother had complained that if he can't, he could afford to buy seven beers a night. Seven beer. Wait, wait, wait. To buy beer seven nights a week, he could afford to pay rent. For sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. Come on. So he left the bar at 11 p.m. that night and later returned. I don't know what. Oh, yeah. Bishop. So, so Bishop, the bartender, asked him if he had solved the problem. He said, no, not yet. And he stayed at the bar until it closed at 2.30 a.m. Do, do, do. Which I have photos here. I'll just. I'll show them to you later because yeah. they're not on my phone. Okay, so on Easter Sunday, which was the next day, Leonard and his wife, Leonard is his brother, um, and his wife, Alma, which is his ex-girlfriend. Mm-hmm. That's got to be weird if you are, you're constantly seeing your brother with your ex-girlfriend. So I also now wonder about the time because my mom, so basically a the guy that's my married to one of my aunts, he had dated two of my other aunts and then yeah. married that aunt. I don't know if it was like a time period thing because there weren't a lot of people you knew. That's true. I don't know. It's so weird, but. I think that happened with Ben's family. Like one of the guys mar- had dated one of the sister, one of his mom's sisters before. Mm-hmm. And then he ended up marrying another sister. Yeah. There's drama now, though. Like, there was, like, a son that was born, and it was, like, he was the dad, but he's married now to the other sister. I don't know. Some drama. 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 It's just going to bring drama. Don't do it. But it's weird. (laughs) And that would be hard, I think, too. Yeah. I think it would be hard. Yeah. Especially if you – I mean, they had eight children. They were successful and all this stuff. I mean, I don't know anything about the relationship he had with this girl, so Mm – but – Apparently, it bothered him. I don't know. Yeah. We'll have to find out later. Okay. So, he took his wife, Alma, and they went to um, see their grandmother, which is, which is uh, Leonard's mother, at their house. So, the eight children, they ranged in age from four to 17. Mm-hmm. Um, James was there, obviously, because he's living there. Right. He was sleeping off his night of drinking and the children enjoyed an Easter egg hunt in the front yard. Afterwards, they came inside and while Charity, which is the mom, Mm -hmm. Alma and Leonard finished lunch preparations. The children played in the living room. 
Around 4 p.m., James woke up, loaded his .357 Magnum, two .22 caliber handguns, and a rifle, and went downstairs. He entered the kitchen where he shot and killed Leonard, Alma, and Charity. His nephew, David, and his nieces, Teresa and Carol, were also in the kitchen. He killed them too. James then rushed into the living room where he killed his niece, Anne, and his four remaining nephews, Leonard III, Michael, Thomas, and John. Oh my God. He killed each of his victims by first taking a dis disabling shot and then finishing them off with a shot to the head or the heart. The only sign of a struggle at the crime scene was one overturned waste paper bin. That's crazy. How did he move that fast? I don't know. It only took five minutes. He was done in five minutes. He must have just like, bam, 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 bam. Like, they didn't have any time to react. And because he had, oh my God. He had the silencer, so maybe anyone that was in the other room didn't oh. really hear, or they might have heard something, but it, they didn't hear it all the way, you know? Ooh, it's crazy. So the Butler County coroner theorized that Rupert had likely shot some victims more than once to prevent anyone escaping. It, they said that each one had at least two bullets in them, but some of them had three or four. Um, it took, like I said, it took less than five minutes for this to be completed. He then, he 11 called- 11 people? 11 people. Oh my God. Yeah. Uh, he called the police right after. And he sat in the house for three hours before he called them, but he did call them. When they arrived, he was waiting for them just inside the front door. The people described the scene as a slaughterhouse. There was so much blood splashed about. It was dripping through the floorboards in the basement. What? Yeah. And to this day, stains can still be seen on the wood. Okay, who's living there? There is a lady. Oh my gosh, I found out who it was. There's a lady um, that they interviewed. It's like this 20, well, that was two years ago. So 29, she's probably 31 now. Um, in her name is, hold on one second. No, you, you burned that house down. I know. She's like, I don't care. I don't mind living in here. <laughs> her name is Cinnamon Baker. <laughs> her name is not Cinnamon Baker. Her name is Cinnamon Baker. <laughs> her name. Who did that? Her parents <laughs> go to name jail. <laughs> Take that away. Oh my! Yeah, there's an article in the local new local news in Cincinnati. Um, from 2018, it says, living in a murder house, Hamilton mom copes with her mom home's dark past. And so she didn't know about it before she moved in, but then she Googled it and it still didn't bother her. She's like, it's... She's like, mm, that's just blood stains. Yeah, but she, yeah, there's photos that she took of her floorboards and there's like stains there still. She's like, every home has a history. So... That's just something happy that was, to have a history everyone knew about, is what she says. She says, I'm happy? No, she said, this just happened to have oh. a history everyone knew about. 
She's like, but, I'm happy. I live in a murder house. <laughs> she moved in on Halloween too, which was pretty crazy. She she was expecting something to happen, like because she found out about it, and then, but right before she moved in, like she had already bought the house, but she didn't find out until after she bought the house that there was murders. There was a like massacre, and. So when she moved in, it was on Halloween and she was expecting something to, I don't know, some kind of paranormal activity or something, but she's, she says she hasn't seen anything or heard anything. So she's like, okay, this just happened, but you can see the blood still. So I'll show you those photos. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. So, um, so let me see where's right, it derailed you. So he called the cops. The cops. Oh yeah, he called the cops. Yeah. Would you live in a house that had a massacre in it? No. Oh yeah, me neither. I don't care how cheap it is. I mean, even if you I I mean you would probably feel something. Sure. Yeah. There's <laughs> no way. There's no way. There's no way. Would you? No, I don't I wouldn't. No. No I would constantly be thinking about it, I feel. I would always be thinking, yeah, no. Yeah. Mm-mm. So no one suspected him. Um, he was very quiet. He was always to himself. Um, no one ever thought he was capable of doing something like that. He was arrested and charged with 11 counts of aggravated homicide. He refused to answer any questions and was very uncooperative. He made it clear that he planned to offer an insanity defense. Prosecutors believe that he planned to plead insanity and then after being cured, cured, it says, would be released to inherit a $300,000 inheritance. Okay. (laughs) So the trial was held in Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, it's like, okay. A three-judge panel found him guilty of all 11 murders, and they were he was sentenced to life in prison. He's still alive, by the way. He's 86 now. Um, he, uh, let's see. He was held in Ohio, about 125 miles north. And then the trial began in June 1975, and they offered new evidence about James's target shooting and statements about solving his problem which the bartender had said right so he received a new sentence of 11 consecutive life sentences in prison Mm -hmm. which is a lot but (laughs) it's like i always think like when there's so many life sentences like what's the point of that (laughs) i think it's so you can never get out and then yeah we got it. We got it. He's going to be there until he dies. Um, so he appealed and a new trial was granted in 1982. And defense attorney Hugh D. Balrock convic- convinced his client was insane, personally funded the hiring of expert psychiatrists from all over the country. And then another three judge panel could wait, what? could james guilty oh there was a typo on this thing um so yeah they (laughs) they're (laughs) 
They found him guilty again on two counts of his first degree murder, murder, his mother and his brother, but found him not guilty of the other nine counts by reason of insanity. That doesn't make sense. I know. It doesn't make any sense. It's just like, why? Why, why, why? Why? Okay, but. So anyway, all in all, he was, he's still in prison. He is incarcerated today at the Allen Oakwood Correctional Institution in Lima, Ohio. Hmm. Yeah. And it's after, and then like, this is the last little tidbit, but after leaving the house, they claimed there's people that moved in and then moved out. And there's still people claim to be there that there's paranormal activity there. The, the new person that lives there hasn't seen anything, but, um, there was like some, it says after leaving the house, they claim to hear voices and strange noises that they couldn't explain. I guess the people yeah. that moved in right after lights turned on and off, doors slammed, and thudding footsteps were often heard coming from the stairs. There were not the last to move in, and wait, there were not the last to move in and quickly leave. So I guess there's a lot of tenants that came in and tried to rent the house or buy the house and they experience things. I don't know about the cinnamon baker. Maybe she's lying. <laughs> cinnamon baker. There's like, she's trying to act soda, tough. like a soda can like flies by. She's like, Oh, that's interesting. The wind picked that up. Like, she, yeah. <laughs> Oh, cinnamon baker. Oh, cinnamon. Um, that's crazy. And also he's not insane because he was everything he was planning. Yeah. Exactly. That guy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's wild. It's pretty crazy. Thanks for sharing that. I, you know, it does, it, when I hear stories like that, I'm always, I always think I'm like, would you ever be like a prisoner's pen pal? Like, are there ever people that you're like, I want to write to you and get some background info? I kind of, it's, I'm always very fascinated to see how their mind works. So yeah, I would be opposed to it. Yeah. I don't know what I would ask. Like, I don't know how I would go about it. The only person we really need to get on a prisoner pen pal with is George from 90 day fiance. <laughs> yes, we do. He's also not a violent offender. He was just totally yeah. hot. We need to find out the deets. Yeah, we do. Um, no, it's just wild. That's crazy. And yeah, because you always look at old people and you think that like, oh, they're old, they're nice, and it's like, no, that guy's still alive. He's old and he's a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Wild. Oh no. What was it? It didn't say. He, he, there's never anything about his real motivation. It doesn't. I didn't read anything that said anything. I think it was just he was just he just snapped. He just snapped. Um, it kind of reminds me of the Zankow chicken murders, but that you did, but different. The what? The chicken murders? Yeah, the Zankow or Zanku. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, that reminds me of that too. The chicken. But there was more motive in that. <laughs> the chicken murders. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't say anything. It's just like he, I think he just snapped. Just. Yeah. I would like to know. Like, that's another thing, I think with like killers or anything like that. I feel if I was their pen pod, I don't know if they would ever tell you though. A lot of them just don't, they just keep it to themselves. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. Man. 
Yikes. Well, it's really sad though, because the youngest one was four. No, it's horrifying. It's awful. It's sad. Super sad. Anyway. Well, on that note, (laughs) um, always a downer. Always a downer. Um, well, I was going to ask, okay, so what is your, what's your favorite fringe holiday? So none of the majors, you know, Easter, Christmas, Valentine's, okay. Halloween. What's your favorite fringe holiday? What's a fringe holiday? Just so like. Just, yeah. So just one that's not one of the main ones. So I guess just not Christmas. Halloween, Thanksgiving, Easter, Valentine's Day, or Fourth of July. Let's just take those off the table. So okay. Um, I don't know. What's yours? <laughs> you go first. <laughs> Let's choose. You know what? I'm going to say Memorial Day. Memorial Day? Okay. Memorial Day. Because it's my favorite fringe one because um, there are still parades. At least when I lived in Massachusetts, there was always like a Memorial Day parade and it's very little. And, um, you know, remembering it's not Veterans Day though, but it, oh, it's real bad. What are we memorializing on Memorial Day? <laughs> D-Day? Oh, no, I should not have picked that. I don't know. Let's think it was Let's Memorial Day. real quick. Look it up. Oh, my God. Um, but I like it. Like, it's the first barbecue of the season. It's the first barbecue. Oh, my gosh. I don't know what it commemorates. I guess I would say 420 because it's my birthday. There you go. Angelica's getting lit. I'm getting so lit. Kidding. Jealous doesn't do pot. She doesn't do the pot. I don't do the pot. But that's a good one. It's 420 all month long. I know. Memorial Day is a federal holiday for remembering, honoring, and mourning the military personnel who died while serving in the United States Armed Forces. How is that different than Veterans Day? It's just, isn't Veterans Day pretty much the same? I think so. It's just remembering the veterans? Yeah. Maybe it's just Memorial Day is the people who died and Veterans Day is the people that are alive. There you go. There you go. Okay. And dead. So it's all of them. Here we are. There you go. <laughs> Should not have asked that question, but I did. Um, yeah. So first off. First barbecue. Barbecue it up. Barbecue it up. And yours is 420 is your favorite fringe holiday. Because it's your birthday. This is my birthday. Whoop whoop. whoop. It's coming up. It's coming up. <laughs> Pandemic birthday. Oh, maybe I'll do like a Zoom dance party or something. Zoom dance party here for it. Mm-hmm. Hi. Well. Fun. Well, everyone, let us know what your favorite fringe holiday is. <laughs> um, Please do. 
Yeah. And anything you want to hear or any stories that you have to tell, you know, it'd be really cool if we, we got stories from listeners and just told them like they can email them to us and yeah. Email us your stories about anything weird. Yeah. We'll read them. Um, let us know what you want to hear. And then if you've, again, if you've encountered aliens, let us know. Definitely. If you've encountered aliens, please let us know because please. we really want to hear that. Yeah. And we're very excited to. Yeah. And you can find us at, did you hear like- podcast on the gram? Mm-hmm. And right. That's our handle. Yep. So go there for all of our, um, all of our content. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And let us know because remember, we want to hear it all. (laughs) Yay. Yay. Okay. Great. I'm going to stop recording.